Hi, it's Friday. I know it's late in the week, and I didn't get around to doing the uh, bio or history podcast because um, uh, last weekend I was in, still in Florida, and I've had a very, very busy week, especially with the porn stuff. There's a number of podcasts I'm behind, but I want to do one following up on the Gaonim Shiragon and the other uh, period of the Gaonim uh, today, so I'll have it done this week, and this being uh, sponsored by uh, my very good friend who I saw, had the pleasure of seeing last week in, in Boca, and that's Rabbi Mrs. Yosef Kasorla. We're sponsoring this um, in memory of the younger brother, passed away a number of years ago, uh, sadly, Elion Nasan, and uh, have the yard site now, the Meldado, as the Spartan called it, and, uh, and very kindly, so he's also um, doing it for a foolish lane, but for yours truly. Um, and anyway, it was a lot of fun and pleasure to see, uh, the Casuelas and we thanked them for the sponsorship and let's do a little bit of work. <coughs> I was talking about the 10th century <coughs> last time, I guess it's two weeks ago, almost since I touched on this and I actually took my, um, rusty trusty, uh, Kahana book with all the different, uh, historical chronicles in it. Uh, to uh, Boca, I had a little bit of time to look at it. Sifrut history, Hayusrei from Kahana, back written oh, probably in 1900 or thereabouts, uh, and which he collected all the classic uh, chronicles. It's a very good book to have. And when we get to the Kufas of Gaonim, which I was talking about before, so there's a couple of sources. One of them that's very chatty and very lush and horror oriented is the famous Nelson Ababli. Now, this is. Again, not the uh, Talmudic guy, you know, the Tana, um, right? Or Nelson Ababli, Omer. This is somebody, when they call him Nelson Ababli, his name was Nelson, Nelson ben Yitzhak, he's a Kohen. He lived in Baghdad in the 10th century. And he wrote, like I say, I don't know what he wrote, part of it is preserved, and that's all we have. Uh, and he's the one, like I said, who had the blog, <laughs> you know, the podcast in 10th century about Bastutzuch and the. Uh, in the Baghdad world, which was the world of the yeshivas and the Rishkalusas, and how they got along and didn't get along, and they fought each other. And yeshivas are always political uh, centers. That's just the way it goes, especially after the founder is not there anymore. Uh, that's the history of yeshivas. It's probably true of all institutions, but it's definitely true of the yeshivas. And a lot of time they have fights and, uh, you know, in, in, inner uh, conflict, outer conflict. And this is certainly true of Sur and Pumbadisa, which by the 10th century had moved to Baghdad from the towns of Surin from Pumbadisa. Baghdad was the capital of the Abbasid Caliphate. The Caliphate was the Arab Empire, which, uh, although by the 10th century it started to shrink, was pretty doggone large, was still gigantic. <coughs> and um, uh, and Bubba was still rocking, okay? And uh, because it's the, ca- the center of the, of the empire, so therefore, it was like New York City, the financial center. And that's why a lot of Jews moved there. And one of the elites were the richy rich businessmen, the successful businessmen, of whom, uh, you know, they're great merchants and so forth. And uh, therefore, they, are, they play a role in this story. Uh, there were other, some of these big, rich businessmen were Tamir HaChamam, and some were not. That's always the way it goes. And the ones who were, stuck their nose into the yeshiva politics, the Galusa politics, as happens now. And the ones who weren't also did, but with uh, somewhat different results. 
And the result is that we have from Nathan of Baghdad, Nathan Ababli, like I say, a lot of chit-chat and uh, things about famous Gedolim, or maybe I should say people you never heard of who were big Gedolim, namely Gaonim. The only Gaonim you've heard of is Saadi Gaon, Shur Gaon, I Gaon, probably. Uh, that's how it goes. But there were plenty of them. Uh, whenever there were, there were two yeshivas, and the Rosh Hashiva of each one was called a Gon, Sura and a Pumbadiso. Nelson Abavli was uh, a member of, of Yeshiva Sura. So he's a yeshiva guy, like from near Israel, writing about the politics in uh, Tavadas and Chaim Berlin, you know, and that, that, that kind of thing. Okay? And, um, and, and in Hebrew, too. It's very nice Hebrew. And it's very interesting. Most of you, I think, would never come across Nelson Abavli, even though he's it's not unknown. It was preserved in the Sefer Yochsin. Unless, perhaps, you have the art scroll of Yom Nida Pumbadisa, there on page 238, they have a whole fragment of him in English where he describes the ceremonial aspect of the yeshivas, how they used to conduct their public learning sessions during the Yachikala, um, which was all shticky, you know, to impress the public. And one sees over there the influence of Persian-Iranian court customs which indeed was a characteristic of the 10th century Abbasid Caliphate because the Caliphs were supposed to be Arabs, but they came to be dominated in the 10th century by Iranian groups, buccaneers and stuff like that. I don't want to get too much into that. Um, and uh, so there are a number of famous stories. I don't think I'll have time for all of them, uh, but I want to do one or two of the famous Lashon Haris from the 10th century. He talks about, first of all, he had certain sh- uh, fights and shtick with the Reish Galusa position, and then you had fights and shtick with the Rosh Hashiva, with the Gaon position. Because all politics. Uh, I'll say it again, yeshivas have politics. That's all. Um, and, uh, you know, Miyesha Barosh, and things like that. Now, the Reish Galusas, you know, some of them were from, some were not, some were more learned, some were less learned. That's how it goes. And remember, well, remember, you don't know in the first place, the, the position of Reish Galusa was, first of all, a rich one. And second of all, he had a position at court, at the imperial court of the caliph, as the head of the Jews. And um, he, you know, uh, lived a, a, a high high lifestyle and that sort of thing. The question is, did he interfere with the Rosh Hashivas? Did they interfere with him and things like that? Okay? So to, we're talking about the 900s or the 10th century. And he has a famous story. That is all classic. It's just you don't know it. But it's all famous stuff. Um, so I figured since we're talking about the Goni period, I'll share some of the famous gossip. Uh, and one of them has to do with the famous Ukva. Now this is not Mar Ukva from the Gemara. Again, this we're talking about the 10th century, long after, long after the Talmudic era. And um, what he, he and he says he's talking now, Al-Resha Galusa Ukva. There was a guy who was a Reish Galusa, Mizera Dovin, his name was Ukva. Shabal Africa, Venice, Ramashan, Rabos. And he ended up, <coughs> as we shall see, having to move from Babylon and, and, and uh, living in Africa, meaning North Africa, you know, Tunisia, Algeria, those kind of places. By Rosh Hashiv, of Rav Kohen Tzedek, by Rav Yosef Now, he's the guy I just talked about, Ukva, was the Reish Galusa. I'm just trying to give you an idea of the uh, competing dynamics of that time in, within the Jewish world. So there's always a Reish Galusa, and there's also there's always a Gaon, Rashiv of Surah and Pombadisa. 
So, meaning one of Sur and one of Pumbadisa. So at that time, the Rosh Hashim of Pumbadisa was Rav Kohen Tzedek by Rav Yosef. Now, there's also basically two yeshivas, and both of them are located in Baghdad. But those are two important positions. And who Alhambra, and he was the Reish um, Galusa uh, for four years. And then the two guys, the Rosh Hashiva of, of Pombadisa, the Gon, and the Reish Galusa got into a fight over money. I know you're shocked to hear that. Uh, we always say it's not about money, but you know what that means. When they say it's not about money, it's money. And the idea goes like this. How did the yeshiva support themselves? At different times in different ways. But they did tax the Jews. Okay? And part of the money went to the caliphate, to the government. But part of the money went to support the yeshivas and the Reshkalusa, who lived at a high lifestyle because he's supposed to be a king from WML. And the question then becomes, who's in charge of the tax revenues? So to use American expression, you know, I'm getting all the money from Maryland, but you're getting all the money from Pennsylvania. Hey, Pennsylvania's a lot bigger than Maryland. That's a lot more money. I want a piece of Pennsylvania. Okay, so you can get to keep Maryland plus um, Eastern Pennsylvania, you know, I don't know, Philly. But I get to keep the rest of the state. See, that's how they divvied up this stuff. So Coruscant is right near, it's a famous province, uh, not far from where we're talking about. And the question is, who gets the money? It used to be that the money from the taxes paid from Khorasan by the Jews there, in other words, used to go to, uh, uh, to the Pumbadisa Yeshiva. And in return, the Yeshiva would send them a Dayanim, a Dayan. You see, you're talking about the Gonic period when the Jews were Talmudizing and I think many people forget. Once upon a time, the Gemara did not exist, as you know. And even when it did, it didn't mean it spread overnight. And what did it mean to have basins? Well, they always had to have a court system wherever there were Jewish communities. They had that thousands of years ago. Had to. You know, uh, a court is the only institution uh, for nonviolent conflict resolution within the community. Agreed? So, right? That's what it is. Otherwise, you have fights. So, um, they always had to have courts. The question is, how do the courts adjudicate? Now, sometimes they go by the seat of their pants, by Beich Savaris, as they call it. But you prefer, if possible, to get professional jury, uh, professional jurors. We call those Talmidi Chacham with Smicha. Okay? And therefore, the uh, so the Pumbadisa, Yeshiva, they owned, like I say, Eastern Pennsylvania, and they would send a die in there. And he's supposed to be guiding all the other judges how to rule Talmudically. Okay, so uh, that used to be the old system, and 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 uh, and the Rosh Galusa now he wanted to appoint a dayan, and you know the money should go to him, and Umano Rab Koin said it, and the Gon said no 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 it goes to us, um, now whenever you had a fight like this, so. Um, the Richie Riches got into the fight. Uh, that happens even nowadays, but I won't go into that. Bahila Ozrim, so the Gaon got supporters against the Rechkalusa over the money. Uh, you see how life was lived? Yosef ben Pinchas, the Hassan and the Tira, 
Abisal Yitzchak in Kitsas Pinas Ador. These are actually famous names, believe it or not, from the Geniza. The uh, Sahal family and the Natira, as he writes about later, these were big bankers, which means big merchants, and they're the ones who used to lend um, the Arab big shots, the viziers, the prime ministers, money, and uh, I think I talked about it last time, and, uh, you know, they were respected because of their wealth, and the government knew, the caliph and the government knew, that these guys are, like, maintaining the economy to a great extent, and so because of their wealth and how they, uh, you know, used it, so they had clout, okay, and so now you have a fight, who should be in charge of the revenues from Khorasan, and the Gaon, and some of the richy riches are backing him, and they were successful in kicking out the Rish Galuso. Now, how do you do that? The answer is, you get to the Arab government, it's, the, it's like going to our coast, you get to the Arab government, you say, this guy's a troublemaker, and here's $50,000, and get the guy out of here. That's how they did business in those days, right? Ah, you're going to Gaim al that's what you got to do. They were under the Arabs, and they considered the Reish Galusa to be a pain in the neck, and interfering in long-standing um, arrangements where Khorasan money went to the Pumadisi Yeshiva. You can already understand. Let's say, I'm just going to make this up. Suppose they told the whole Chaim Berlin is dependent on the revenues of place from, uh, from Orlando. And then somebody comes and says, no, I'm going to use the revenues for Orlando for something else. Then the Yeshiva will fold, you see? And so it was like a firm thing. And they got the guy expelled to Iran, to Kermanshah. Uh, Crimson, It's five days of uh, uh, travel from, from uh, Baghdad. In other words, what we call today the Iranian-Iraqi border, general area. Now, we've been talking about the Gaon in Pumbadisa. At that time, there was also a Gaon, Rosh Hashiva, Amram, in um, Surah. V'yashav ukva b'krimson, so the Rish Galusa, who had been kicked out of office, he had to bide his time, listen to this, until the caliph, the king, went for a summer vacation or something like that, Latayah Crimson, to go to Kermanshah, where he, where the Rish Galusa had been exiled to. I hope you're, you're following the story. Because Kermanshah was unusually uh, good weather, and it was very fertile, and all the saffron comes from there, and it had, you know, Mayim, uh, Ganas, and Pardesim. It was a beautiful area. So that's what we would call today where the Richie Rich, Goyim, and the Caliph himself hung out at certain times of the year. And therefore, it turns out that uh, even when they kicked him out of Baghdad, when they kicked the Rish Galusa out, I mean, he kind of landed on his feet to a certain extent. Because he ended up in Palm Beach, you know what I mean? In Palm Springs. You know, no, he ended up in a good area. Okay? A, a a resort for the rich. Now, I mean, it's not like they sent him to Siberia or anything like that. Now, watch this. Um, this guy's very chatty. So, in that resort area of Kermanshah, there is, about a half mile away, Malcolm Shafran. There's something called the Shafran Binyan Yafet, <coughs> which is some kind of a palace, a fancy building. And that's where the Caliph um, 
during his summer vacation or whatever they call it, that's where he metayel. That's where he go for walks. And over there was a large building, two stories. This is really funny. And it was still left over from the Persian Empire. In other words, the Arab Caliphate had conquered the Persian Empire, destroyed it, and taken it over. But there were many buildings and monuments and institutions still left around from the Persian times. You understand? And this building had belonged to Chasru II, Chasru Parvis. Achas shall mel chasru b'achas shall pilagshu sirin u'betachtisa dumus sus chalo b'yotzmi ma'im and a harbi konsu b'yotzmi piv, and it was the wonder of the age. One second. Yeah, I just got interrupted. Anyway, so listen to this. So on this building, he says there was still left over. See, see the Muslims, the Caliphate, um, the Arabs, in their uh, empires, um, have. It, the same problem that we Jews had, which was you have to have art without pictures of people. Correct? Um, it's a question about Azara and things like this, two, three-dimensional, two-dimensional. And so in the Islamic architecture, you never had, uh, which they have fancy, schmancy buildings around the world. I mean, they're amazing. You know? I mean, they're extraordinary. Um, so um, they don't have people, they have uh, uh, forms geometrics, flowers, animals even sometimes, things like that, not people. But the ancient Iranians were Zoroastrians and they had no problem with pictures of people. And so the Arabs still left this building over. It was some fancy place. And the palace has still a, a, a portrait on the, on the side of the palace. One of the king, one of the last Iranian kings, Khosru Parvis, he's a very famous person, Khosru the Conqueror. And then his Favorite, his Queen Esther, so to speak. Uh, Siren, Shirin, really. And this guy's a Litvak, he calls it Siren. And, you know, she was a famous concubine of his. Oh, and underneath it was something like a, a, a big Trojan horse type situation, Khalul, and water came out of it. So what you and I today would say, like, big deal, there was a, obviously it made a big impression on people in the 10th century. Okay? Here's the point. So the king, the the caliph, he liked to take walks over there. It was cool. It was pretty. It was it was uh, artistic, and so on and so forth. So what did the re- exiled Reish Galusa do? This is an interesting story. And so our hero, our character, which was the deposed, the fired Reish Galusa made it his business to stand there at the time of the day when the caliph would walk by taking his uh, daily walk, his tiul, and very respectfully, and he would uh, literally sing his praises. In other words, that's an Arabic shtick. Here comes the great and almighty caliph. He's a wonder of God. He's a splendor to his people. He's gavaldic. He's unbelievable. He's amazing, and so forth. And in Arabic, and he did it in Arabic, and with with shirim naim, with poems, and he did this three hundred sixty five days a year. Now I don't think the caliph was there for three hundred sixty five days a year, but that's what he says. So mind you, every time he saw the caliph, which he knew every day is let's say for example four thirty, he's going to walk by. Uh, this would be good for Trump, you know what I mean? So 
he would lay it on thick every day with a different poem. So it's like it's like writing, you know, uh, what do you call it, Matsevas, <laughs> you know? Every day he would write a different poem of praise. And the point is, so for Amel, and the caliph was accompanied by a secretary who was impressed with the quality of the poems, and he would transcribe them. And it was never the same poem twice. So this Jewish guy took the trouble to craft praising Arab poems for the caliph with a new one every day, which is kind of interesting. Uh, he did it all year, or however long the guy was there. And then the when he saw this, and the secretary looked over, he's a flunky, looked over 300, you know, poems, he's like, wow, you know, none of them are the same. Um, and he and he told the king, and the emperor, the, the caliph says, can't be true, okay? Uh, he never said the same thing twice. The king said, Give me a simon. And he, he said, Watch this. I, I transcribed them all. And he brought like this thick book. And you know, each one was like a daily poem. And they're never the same. And they're all in praise of this ruler. Trump would love it. So when this happened, uh, so the caliph said, like, Bring this guy in to see me. And the caliph was so impressed. What would, I'll grant your request. What would you like? And as after you went to the trouble, isn't that a smart thing? You know, like I say, when you're when you're dealing with an Arab ruler, you lay it on thick, baby. And I mean, thick and uh, ample. And like the Israeli said, with royalty, you don't use a spoon, use a shovel. Okay. And as a result, the caliph said. What 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 can I give you? He says, restore me to my position that I was fired from. Make me rich galusa again. So look what I stick here. Meanwhile, the rich millionaires and the shiva they pulled all their stick and the lobbyists that they knew at the royal court and the people that influenced the caliph and the grand vizier and all the rest of it, and they got the rich galusa fired and exiled. And now he turned the tables on them. He got to the top guy, the caliph himself, through this interesting shit of writing poems, which goes to show you, by the way, he must have been number one educated in Arabic, and second of all, uh, familiar with how to write poems. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not it's not easy to do. Now, he was a Rish Galusa, so he doesn't have no shots, but uh, you see he was an expert in, 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 he had in an Arabic cultural upbringing. And the caliph said, okay, and the caliph wrote him a letter. You know, he said, you're back in business. Oh boy. So this just really rocked the boat when he came back to Baghdad. He said, ha, 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 I'm the, I'm the rich Galusa again. And all the rich guys who spend money against him were going crazy. But, you know, being millionaires, what they did was like this. They just up the bribes, get it? <laughs> That's what you do. You're trying, you're trying to beat us, you know? We can buy and sell you. So whoever was necessary for them to kiss up to, to bribe, to pay off, to give them presents, and that kind of stuff they did. 
and they got the guy fired a second time. <laughs> got the guy fired. This is how life was lived, you know, in the time of the Gonim. You do what you got to do to get rid of your opposition. They would go and talk against them to the king, meaning to all the officials, and he was exiled from the caliphate, from all the, all the provinces. And the idea was, if you hang around in the empire, you lose all your property. And therefore, he could not stay. So basically, now you're not exiled to a place a week away, like you had been before in Kermanshah. Now you got to go like 500,000 miles away. Therefore, he had to go to North Africa. Okay? Venisha Shomadal Heishan Rosh. Nisha Rosh. So there was no Rish Galusa for a while. Because if he's firing and kicked out, there's no Rish Galusa. You want to say, like, who needs him? No, they need a Rish Galusa too. Actually, Kosha Darmodal Yisrael. It was a big problem for Klai Yisrael because he needed somebody at the royal court to represent the Jewish community. But Dibral David ben Zakai. And therefore, they look for another candidate, and they picked this guy David ben Zakai, Shudodo Shalukva Nasi Shabar, who is the uncle of the Mukva that we were talking about. So you see, how to, you know, you got to keep it in the family. And this David ben Zakai, as we shall see, maybe next time, uh, was the famous uh, friend and then antagonist of Sadigon. They said, let him be the Reish Galusa's successor to his nephew. By coin said a Rosh Hashiva Pumbadisa, Kashlavadavar, right? But the Rosh Hashiva Pumbadisa didn't like him. Shlorotsa Bisraras, David ben Zakai, Pishai Krobsha Ukwa Shavar. He didn't like the fact that their appointed successor, somebody who was an uncle, a relative of the of the previous guy, was fired. Okay? And so basically the Yeshiva of Pumbadisa wanted to like boycott the elections we say today. And like Trump saying, it doesn't count. So this means that the other yeshiva saw a chance to make a move, Sura, and they were makabel him as Rish Galusa, and therefore they, they get in tight with him. And therefore, each each yeshiva had its um, donor base and its alumni and that sort of thing. And they, so Sura sent out to all of its uh, people in its mailing list that we support this guy as, as the next Reish Galusa, and you should um, honor him and, you know, treat him with respect and so forth. And all the supporters of Yeshiva A of Sura went, and they went like to be Makabal Punim for the new Reish Galusa. See how politics went? Seven miles away from Sura. Humakum David ben Zakai, Eretz Molatato. That's where the new Reish Galusa was located. And they had a ceremony in which they were makabalim as, as Reish Galusa. In other words, Yeshiva A is doing this to stick it to Yeshiva B. And there were only two Yeshivas. That did not make Torvadas, in Berlin, Lakewood agree. So maybe Nerezra agree, but we don't agree with him. And so this boycott by the other sheep of Pumbadisa of the new Reish Galusa continued for three years. And there was somebody who was a big Talmud Chacham who was a blind. 
His name was Nurani. He was from that area, like Persian. And uh, he was a Reish Kalim, and he was like, what we say today, a Magad Shir. So he was a Talmud Chacham. And as we would say today, he was a Makubal. He's noted by Nisim. He didn't know how to do Nisim. But in Nichnas Beinim B'derech Shalom, and people respect him. He could go to both yeshivas. B'derech Shalom. Uchiyon Haragos Yeshiv Pudusa. And they turned to him, can you be a diplomat and get the yeshiva Pumbadisa to agree that I should be the Reish Galusi. We want to bring Shalom and Klal Yisrael. She has Ratsa Koinzek Rosh Yeshiva so that the head of Pumbadisa should agree that I should be Reish Galusa. Now listen to this. So this blind guy went and he said, I'll talk to the Rosh Yeshiva Pumbadisa. And he went to his house or whatever. And um, let's put it this way. The Rashid was in his house, which was locked. He's like 14 locks. And this guy, because of the Makubal, he was able to use the Shem Hashem, like Moshe Rabbeinu, and opened all the locks. So he got into the Rashid's house. So he walked in him at nighttime, sort of um, by surprise. So this blind guy, Walked in and caught the Rashiva Pumbadisa by surprise. But I'm happy to say he didn't catch him watching television. He caught him Gurz He was Chazring Shas. Because the, the, the Gaonim are famous. In order to be a Gaon, he had no Shas Palpe. So he was Gurz Machatsi Okay? Kim Shiro Kohen Tzedek, Achar Lekraso. When the Rosh Hashiva saw him, and, he, and this guy was a big Makobal and a Tzadik and blind. So he came to Shaliske, be also why you here? He said, It was hard to get to you. I had to open 14 locks by Kabbalah. What do you want? Why'd you come here? He said, Get with the program and accept this guy as Rish Galusa and you know, accept his uh, uh, authority over you and bring Shalom. And so the Rosh Hashiva of Pumadisa must have been impressed. So he said, okay, I'll agree. And the blind guy went to the Rosh Galusa and he said, I was successful. And he said, in this new state, they'll come to you in a public ceremony and acknowledge you. And he went and told the Rosh Hashiva, of Pumbadisa, when the, the point in time is. And so then the Yeshiva Pumbadisa changed his mind and he sent out a letter to his mailing list, right, to his email list. They're all going to get together on such such a day and go and greet the new Reish Galusa, who's already been there for three years. Went to the same place it was before. Where they acknowledged his uh, ascendancy, and when they got there, he It was a big public ceremony. So the Reish Galusa came there with many Talmidim, which is interesting. Sounds like you know what I learned. There was a certain chutzer that they prepared, where Team A should meet Team B and come together. And they had a whole elaborate ceremony when, in other words, they're accompanying the new Rish Galusa, well, he's not new, but he had the Rish Galusa, to his palace or whatever. 
And when they came to uh, the, the gates of Baghdad, they greet him with Arab songs. So now there's a, like today in the from world, there are a lot of quote-unquote from songs that are in English, correct? You know, right? So they had a lot of from songs in Arabic. You know, like they do over there. And so this David ben Zakai moved in with his wives, okay, plural, and his whole household. But that's that's that. So this is how he describes you the inner politics of how they knocked. There was one Reish Galusa, then he was knocked out, and he tried to get back in, but then <laughs> uh, they eventually Mamish knocked him out, and. Uh, by the way, because Ukva went to Africa, there's he's in the uh, Aruch and all that. I mean, there's a lot of scholarship on there, but we'll leave that alone. And um, instead, you had now um, Ukva is gone, but they have David Ben Zaka as the Reish Galusa, and Kohen Sedek is the Rosh Hashiva in Pambadisa. But then what happened, and I think I'll do it another time. Then what happened is that uh, right around this time, Actually, five years later, I should say. So the Rosh Hashiva Surah died. Okay? And therefore, you needed a new Rosh Hashiva for Surah. But the Shiva was falling apart. And and this new Rish Galusa we just talked about, he's the one who brings in Sadiqon. But then, of course, he's going to have a whole fight with him. And the uh, soap opera will continue next time. I shared this with you. First of all, it's very famous. But second, it's the story of Ukra, they call it. And second of all, it goes to show you that the Nasana Babi is just very interesting, chatty, you know what I'm saying? Because he tells you all the gossip that was going on with the with, with the big deals with the Rishkalusas and the Gaonim and the others during the, uh, during this era. And uh, politics is, is a constant, okay? Question is, you know, um, do you let Machlaikas get out of hand? We will see, I hope next time, that when it got Sadiqon and and Dov and Zaka had a huge machlokes, many Jewish leaders went to them and said, "You know, machlokes is very dangerous." Okay, I mean, it's not it's not safe for Jew, for Jews. Uh, machlokes itself. I'm saying this now, almost on Purim in Tavshin Pei in 2023, when Israel now is being torn apart by machlokes, as we all know, and in America, everybody very sad. They see the Pirud and the uh, divisiveness going to Israel, because only helping the Arabs. I mean, it only helps the enemies, you see? But it's hard, it's hard to get that message across when you're partisan to one side or the other. Anyway, um, with that, I wish everybody a good job. It's a good week. I want to thank, once again, uh, the Kasorlas, brothers in Shem Shanav and Aliyah, as we say, and um, uh, I thank them for their support and friendship, and... With that, I wish everyone a good week. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll wait till Sunday. I'll tell you about my plans for Purim.